0: really felt that Brandon's word this morning was such, a, such a, an important word for this, for this congregation. Father, we pray that you would cause your, your fire to fall down on this altar. Won't you consume us? Won't you fill us afresh, Lord, with your spirit? Won't you fill us with your fire? Lord, won't you set us ablaze? Won't you set us ablaze so that we could go out and set the world alight? Won't you set us ablaze, Lord, that people would look upon us and be warmed by your love and your power and your compassion and your kindness and your mercy and your grace? Won't you fill us afresh, Lord, with your blazing fire? Let it not burn out in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to be speaking this morning about Pentecost. Pentecost is a really, really important moment in the history of the world. This morning I'm going to be looking at it from a micro perspective. We're going to be tracing uh, something about the story of Peter, the, the, the Peter the Apostle. He was initially Peter the disciple and before that he was Peter the fisherman. So we're going to be talking about Peter in the context of the transformational power of Pentecost. Uh, I came up with two subtitles for this sermon. You can pick which one you like. Uh, Petering out of power, Or the Idiot's Guide to Following Jesus. And you'll see why I call it the Idiot's Guide to Following Jesus. I'm not being flippant, although it may appear that way. We'll see at the end of the sermon why I call it that. It never ceases to amaze me that Jesus left the fate of all humanity in the hands of 11 men, his disciples who became the first apostles, who I'm not sure I'd have chosen to be on my team. We have uh, the sons of thunder they don't say much in the gospels but they seem to be focused more on 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 creating a way to get to the top of the pile we have thomas i have my doubts about him (laughs) but then he had his doubts as well Um, we have who else judas probably the less we say about judas the better and then there's peter Peter, Of all the disciples, I think I identify with Peter the most. He cannot open his mouth without sticking both of his feet right in it. He says all kinds of rash stuff all the time. He, uh, his mouth writes checks that the rest of him can't seem to cash. Peter does crazy stuff. He makes huge promises and lacks follow-through. When Jesus calls him, he was catching fish. This is a guy you could smell coming around the corner before you saw him. And fishermen aren't necessarily known for telling the truth. Peter Peter is an unlikely choice. Peter was probably a teenager when Jesus called him. He was uneducated. He came from Galilee, which was a rough part of town. In fact, he, he came from from the melting pot of the gentiles on the the shores of lake galilee he had a funny accent people could hear that he was a rough fisherman he is an unlikely choice i think if jesus had the internet he'd have got concerned emails about the choice of peter (laughs) not sure about this guy brother and yet there was something about peter he was passionate. He was prepared to put his body on the line. When, when Jesus came walking on the water, Peter alone said, if that's you, call me out. I'll, I'll walk on water for you, Jesus. There's something, there's something about Peter that, that just inspires me. Look, he was rougher than a goat's knee. Rougher than a boar's trotter, Stan. Uh, but, but there was something about him. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to track what he looked like from the time of his calling in a series of scriptures to his denial of Jesus, to his restoration. And then we're going to land on Pentecost. Because Peter gives a preach on Pentecost. And we're going to, we're going to look at that. Just a little bit, and we're going we're to draw some stuff out of it. Peter is mentioned by name probably more than all of the other disciples in the Gospels. And I think that's because in the thick of it. If, if, if FOMO in the first century had a poster child, its name would be Peter. But, but there's something about that I think that, that God appreciates, and certainly that Jesus identified. So let's, let's pick it up from Matthew 4, verse 18 to 20. I'm going to be going through quite a few scriptures, so you don't need to read it if, if you'd like to just follow me. That's cool. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, speaking of Jesus, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Point number one, Peter has a yes face. You may remember that Drew spoke a couple of weeks ago about how uh, Thomas Jefferson, one of the, the presidents of the United States, was, was with a group of men in a torrential downpour, and they came across a river in flood, and, and some of the men in, in Jefferson's party started making their way on their horses across this river and flood. And they were, they were in real danger of being swept away and dying. And, and when it came time for Jefferson, there's still some of his men on, the, on, on this side of the shore, to cross, there was a guy who needed to get to the other side. And he approached Jefferson and said, please, sir, can I get on the horse with you? Would you mind taking me across? And Jefferson said, sure, let's go. And he made it across. And when they were on the other side, one of the men who was with jefferson said to this man look do you know who this is and, and why did you pick him of all of us why did you ask him he said well when i looked at your faces some of you had yes faces and some of you had no faces but he had a yes face so i asked him and i think that's something in peter peter had a yes face peter peter's hears jesus say Leave your nets, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Not fishers of fish, fishers of men. And immediately he says yes. He had a yes face. And and it it caused me to think, well, when Jesus asked Peter to follow him and become a fisher of men, he had absolutely no context for what that meant. Did it mean that he was going to be throwing nets at people? Probably not. But Jesus, Jesus spoke with such authority and Peter recognized it that Peter didn't need to know the details. He didn't need to understand what it was that Jesus was calling him to. It was enough that he said, "Follow me." And I wonder if that's enough for us. Now I in myself, I need to understand stuff before I buy into it generally. And and I wonder whether that's not a weakness. Sometimes sometimes it should be enough, I think, for Jesus to say, "Follow me" before we understand it all. And we get up and say, "Yes." I'll leave my nets and I'll follow you. Peter had a yes face. Next text I'd like to look at um, is a famous one Matthew 16, verse 13 to 18. Now, when Jesus came into this, the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But you, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Point number two, Peter sometimes gets it right. Peter sometimes gets it right. So Jesus asks a very important question. Who do you say that I am? And and Jesus is engaging in a bit of a wordplay here. He's making a pun. Uh, Well, not a pun yet. It gets to a pun in a moment. Who do you say that I am? I am is the name of God. In Exodus, remember, Yahweh reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush that isn't consumed. He says, I am. I am the great I am. If Pharaoh wants to know who I am, tell him, I am has sent you. So when Jesus says, who do you say that I am, it's a bit of wordplay. He's giving them a hint. He's, he's revealing that he's Yahweh. He's the angel of the Lord who spoke from the bush. And Peter nails it. He gets it 100% right. He says, you're the, the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, in another pun, I say that you are rock, Petros. You are rock. It's a piece of rock. And on this rock, Petra, the feminine, this mass of rock. So I say to you that you're a piece of rock. And on this mass of rock, Petra, the fact that, that Jesus is, is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it." So, so the, the, the rock that the gates of hell will not prevail against is the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and, and He's going to build His church on it. And, and the gates of hell will not prevail against either that truth or the church. Have you ever thought about the fact—unfortunately, I just don't have time to go into all the detail of what the gates of hell are. It's really interesting. Um, But have you ever thought about the fact that the gates, gates are a defensive position, they don't move. Gates gates don't advance. Jesus was saying, this truth that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the church that I'm going to build upon that truth— The gates of hell will not be able to withstand their advance it's the church the church takes on the gates of hell and wipes them out that's what that text means it's it's actually that that the kingdom of darkness has adopted a defensive position and the church is going straight in to take it out it's so cool so peter gets it right then we go a little bit further in Matthew chapter 16 verse 21 from that time Jesus began to show his disciples part of the same conversation that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him God love Peter (laughs) rebuking Jesus saying far be it from you Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Point number three Peter sometimes gets it wrong. Peter is so pumped about getting the last question right that he assumes the position of spiritual authority. He can do no wrong. In fact, He's so pumped that, that, that the Father in heaven, not flesh and blood, has revealed this truth to him that he presumes to take Jesus aside and tell him a thing or two. And, 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 and Jesus calls him Satan. Now, th- that seems a little harsh, yeah? It's a little harsh. In the Old Testament, in, certainly in the early parts of the Old Testament, where Satan is used is not used as a, as a proper name. It, it, it's usually referred to as the Satan, which means the opposer. So what Jesus is saying to, to, Paul, to Peter is, you are opposing my purposes. You're opposing the purposes of God. How are you opposing the purposes of God? You're thinking about the things of men, not the things of God. You're thinking about the immediate instead of understanding that there's an eternal dynamic and an eternal perspective. You're thinking about avoiding suffering or me avoiding suffering when actually that's the very purpose I've come to the earth. And when you do that, you're backing up the kingdom of darkness. And, and reading that text, I wondered to myself, how many times have I opposed the purposes of God? It's a, pro, it's a heavy, weighty thing, isn't it? That, that when we are so consumed with the immediate, with the earthly, with the things of man, that we lose sight of what God is doing and his eternal perspectives. And part of Pentecost, part of Pentecost, and we're going to look at this, is how the kingdom of God breaks into the kingdom of man and puts it in its proper place, in its proper perspective, where actually it's so small and the kingdom of God is so vast and we get to participate in it. Luke 22 verse 31. Jesus is about to go to the cross and he has this conversation with his disciples and he looks at Peter with when I read this I I see such such love and compassion I I hear The the tone of Jesus' voice as he says these words is not harsh. You can read this in a harsh tone of voice. I don't believe it was spoken in a harsh tone of voice at all. He says this. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, if you're in your Bible, just underline that scripture. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Yeah, eh. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. See, Jesus knew what Peter was going to do. And, and, and this is point number four. Peter's future failure was not a deal breaker for Jesus. Peter's future failure was not a deal breaker. Jesus knew how Peter would fail and that his failure would be an opportunity for Satan to attack. Why was Satan demanding to sift Peter like wheat? Why did Satan have a legal right to demand that? Because, Because this anticipates... That, that Satan appears before God as he does. Job says that. Appears before the divine council and says, I demand Peter. Because Jesus had said, if you deny me before man, I will deny you before God. Before the Father. And that's exactly what Peter was going to do. So in, in terms of, of the law, in terms of not, not only the law of the Torah, but in, in terms of Jesus' commandments, Satan was entitled to Peter. Crazy. And look at Jesus' response. He doesn't, doesn't give in to that demand. He intercedes. The Bible says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, Not not that your faith may not fail so that you would not deny me. That your faith would not fail that when you've denied me, you won't give up. Because he was going to fail. Can I share something with you? And, And I'm not sure whether you're aware of this. You are going to fail. You are absolutely going to fail. There are going to be times... Where you've promised Jesus stuff and you're not gonna do it you're gonna be times where you sin maybe it's just me I don't think so I think it's you too there are gonna be times where you fail in the purposes of God and that's not the end of the story because Jesus himself Jesus himself prays that our faith would not fail not before we sin but after it that we would not lie there and say this is the end of the road for me because God's grace is only enough to forgive my sins and salvation. That's just not true. The grace of God is is able to take us in our failures and in our fallings and in our broken promises to lift us up and put us back on the path to follow Him again. The Bible says that that God's strength is perfected in our weakness. It is precisely our vulnerability and our willing to get up when we've fallen that, that creates the space for us to strengthen our brothers. It's, it's not the end of the road. And, and I'm sure that there, because we're human, I'm sure that there are those among us seated here this morning who, who believe that your sin is too great and your failure in Christ is too great and that you are no longer able to serve him you're here for roll call but as for service you don't know what i've done i'm telling you that to jesus doesn't matter i'm not i'm not saying sin is condoned it's not jesus takes sin very seriously it's just not the end of the road See, in our vulnerability and failure and returning with the help of Jesus to the call set before us, the gates of hell cannot withstand it. Mark 14, verse 29, Peter said to him, said to Jesus, even though they all fail away, referring to the other disciples, I will not. A little bit further in Mark, same chapter. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time and peter remembered how jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice you will deny me three times and he broke down and wept point number five the struggle is real the struggle is real you know what i admire about peter he didn't shrug his shoulders he wept brokenheartedness about our sin is the right approach Indifference is not. Because we have access to the grace of God doesn't mean that we should take our sin any less seriously. In fact, the Bible says because we have the grace of God, we should take sin seriously. We should not neglect so great a salvation. The struggle is real. Then the story proceeds, and and, and Jesus dies. He dies on the cross, and he's risen from the dead, and, and an angel comes to the disciples, and he says these words in Mark chapter 16. He says, But go tell his disciples and Peter that he, Jesus, is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. I'm going to read that again. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Point number six, Jesus is kind. This is the angel sending a message to the disciples that the risen Christ would meet with him. So why does he say, tell the disciples and Peter? Wasn't Peter a disciple? Why didn't he just say, go tell the disciples? Peter was included in the crew. Yeah? Peter knew that he denied Jesus. He no longer regarded himself as a disciple the angel had to say tell the disciples and peter because if all he had said was go and tell the disciples peter would have said that can't be me even though the bible says all the others denied him also peter took his failure so seriously notwithstanding the fact that jesus had promised him that he would fail and when he failed he should return and strengthen his brothers. He took his failure so seriously that he'd disqualified himself as a disciple. How many of us have done that? How many of us have done that? Who here is called to ministry, and I'm not talking about eldership necessarily or being a prophet or or some recognized title. I'm talking about serving the body of Christ, taking the gospel to the world advancing the kingdom of God in whatever way God has called you, and you've said, I can't, I've disqualified myself. I want to tell you that that is an underestimate of the grace of God. And it's actually a little insulting to God. There is no failure so great that Jesus cannot redeem it. None. There is no failure so great that we are permanently disqualified from the purposes of God. It doesn't exist. How do I know that? Peter. How do I know that? David. The only one who hasn't fallen is Jesus. The rest of us do. And the problem is that we believe the lies of Satan when we've fallen instead of hearing the voice of Jesus. Who says I prayed for you now I'll return and strengthen your brothers John 25 uh, 21 verses 15 to 18 so the scene is is um, Jesus appears to the disciples and he, he cooks them a breakfast fish on the beach Peter was grieved because he'd said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep truly. Truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Point number seven, all you need is love, love, love. And unfortunately, the English robs us a little bit of what's happening in this passage. Jesus says to Peter, do you agape me? Do you have agapeo love for me? Do you have the selfless, sacrificial love that I possessed that took me to the cross for me? And Peter three times says, yes, I have phileo for you. I have brotherly affection for you. So, so Jesus says, Are you prepared to sacrifice everything to love me? Because if you don't have that, you're going to struggle to feed my sheep. If all you have for me, if all you have for me is affection, it's not going to sustain you because sheep bite. Sheep don't take instruction well. Sheep are difficult. They don't like it when you comb through the mats in their wool. If you're going to tend my sheep, which is my command to you, you have to have a supernaturally imparted love from me. You have to have agapeo. Phileo is not going to do it. Profound, eh? See, before Jesus, it's a little bit later in, in, in the text. Before Jesus ascends, he says to his disciples, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, that you have agape love, that you agape, possess agape love for one another, as I have possessed agapeo love for you. That's, what, that's the commandment Jesus to us. It's that love that we have for one another that is evidence to the world that we love him. It's a profound thing. Okay, so all of that, all of, all of those encounters give us a picture of Peter. So, if, it's, so if, if I look at that backdrop, all of that's the introduction, by the way. Uh, I'm not going to be long. Um, all of that is the backdrop, so that we see Jesus' journey with Peter until this point. And we see Peter gets it right, Peter gets it wrong, Peter fails, Peter is restored, Peter is given a charge by God that can only be fulfilled if he's supernaturally empowered from on high. See, see, Peter denied Jesus out of fear, fear of the consequences for himself, fear of what people would say and think, fear of his own death. And then Pentecost comes, and, and you know the story of Pentecost, the, the, the Holy Spirit descends on a, on a group of people, men and women, who are waiting for God and, and tongues of flame descend upon them, and they start declaring the mighty works of God in other languages, which I'm going to be looking at in detail tonight. If you want to hear an interesting sermon, come tonight. Um, And well, I think it's interesting. Uh, And in that context, Peter is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he stands up and he gives a sermon. And this is the sermon. I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm not going to explore it in any detail. I might just make one or two comments at the end. But I want you to listen to this uneducated fisherman preach a sermon without notes, without an electronic version of the Bible with with five concordances and three um, commentaries. He just stands up and he preaches this absolute cracker. Listen to this, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, And your old men shall dream dreams if you're old it's not the end of the game even on my male servants and my female servants in those days i will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and i will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the lord comes the great and magnificent day and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that, that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. <coughs> you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Not a hint of fear. Tell, he's. Um, Speaking truth to power, if I may. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, Or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn him an oath, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. The Holy Spirit falls on Peter, and he stands up and preaches that. What a preach! What a preach! He quotes the Old Testament flawlessly without a scroll in his hand. He exegetes it like, like, a, like a professor of theology. Not only that, but he then applies a the hermeneutic to it, so exegesis is to to, to Interpreted as the readers would have understood it on the day, hermeneutics is to apply it to the facts in front of you. He applies his hermeneutic flawlessly. This is an absolute cracker by a fisherman who was uneducated. What is the difference? Well, there are two things. Acts 4, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Two things. One, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was empowered from on high by the fire of God. He was baptized to accomplish all that God had set out for him. Two, he spent time with Jesus. That's us. Yeah? That's us. We, we have, and, and we're going we're gonna to have a time of ministry, we're going to pray for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, but, but we have access to the same Holy Spirit of God who filled Peter and transformed him from an uneducated common man who had spent time with Jesus into this preacher who was not fearful for his own life and, 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 and just did the most magnificent job, and 3,000 people gave their lives to God. In a hit, 3,000 people. That is quite a sermon. No altar call. (laughs) They did say, what do we have to do to be saved? So it's not like he was selling something. He was saying, that's the position. And people responded because God was in it. Remember that I said that... um, this is this sermon is, one of the subtitles is The Idiot's Guide to Following Jesus. That's because where Acts 4 verse 13 says, common men, that word common is idiotes. It's literally idiot. It means someone who's ignorant or foolish or uneducated. What does that mean? That means that the power flowing from the Holy Spirit is transcendent, where you come from, your level of education, which school you went to, the language you speak is irrelevant if that is perceived as a barrier to serving the purpose of God. It is irrelevant. In fact, it's more than that. It is the very tool that God uses to take his kingdom to the furthest corners of the earth. You know that, that Paul, the educated Hebrew scholar, was sent to the Gentiles? He didn't know the law. If I was running that program, I'd have put him as the head of, of, of the ministry to the Jews, obviously. Peter, the uneducated Peter, the idiot. Peter the idiot was sent to the Jews. Those with a full history and, and background and, and knowledge of the, of the scriptures, that's where Peter went. Why? Because, because God's strength is perfected in our weakness. We just need to spend time with Jesus. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to get up and get on with whatever God has called us to. And I say to you that there is no barrier to that. I don't care where you come from. It's irrelevant. You can come from Donald. (laughs) If ever a place lived up to its name. It doesn't matter what school you went to or didn't go to, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter whether you get a degree, it is irrelevant. All that matters is whether you spend time with Jesus, with whether you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So this morning we're going to create the space for God to fill us afresh. And if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, today's your day. Today's your day. Because we all need supernatural power to do all the things that God has called us to do. You know, we get to participate in the great work of Jesus and to do things greater than He did because he has ascended and sent the Helper to us. And people think, well, what's greater than raising the dead? What's greater than than healing the sick? I'll tell you what's greater than that, taking the kingdom of God to the four corners of the globe. Jesus hasn't done that in the flesh. He's looking to us to do that. And we get to play a part in that. More about that tonight, but we get to play a part in that. Beautiful. Wonderful, Raymond.